today uh, God gave me a specific word. Not sure I'll get done today. That's usually what happens to me, but we'll see. We'll see what uh, see how it goes. God gave me a word uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, it's called a shaking and an awakening. And so I want to talk about navigating 2023 and then beyond. Um, and today, specifically, the truth shall make you free. So um, God often speaks to me, like I said earlier, with just one word. And before we go any further, I need to let you know the notes are online. I encourage you to get my notes. I normally don't share every single thing in my notes, but they're there and available online. If you'll go to our website, victorychurchwally.com, you can uh, uh, access the notes here. But uh, this is not in the notes. Uh, um, it was October of 2021. I was upstairs praying. And actually, I just finished praying for about an hour. I usually do that in the morning. And um, I've been praying in the Spirit. And I was just sitting on my couch. And all I do is sit. Sometimes, you know, if you'll just pray and sit quiet, God will speak to you. And, um, and while I was sitting there, I just, one word, I, I don't ever ask. I don't even ask for it. It just happens. And um, he gave me this word, uh, epoch. Epoch. How do you pronounce it? Ep- epoch. I think there's a, isn't there a, isn't there a tape, paper called the Epoch Times? Well, this is Epoch. Well, the word Epoch, in fact, I had to look it up because I never use it. And I took a picture of the dictionary on my phone. Uh, and the word means this, a, a fixed point of time from which succeeding years are numbered, a point from which computation of years begins. Uh, the, and then, then this is the 1828 dictionary. Listen to what it says. The exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and the Babylonian captivity are remarkable epochs in their history. So it's any fixed time or period uh, when anything begins or is remarkably prevalent, prevalent. So we're living, and when God spoke that to me, I said, what on earth are you saying? And I had to go look up the definition because I really didn't understand the term epoch, but it's, it's the beginning of something different. So what we all need to know as we enter 2023, here a couple of years ago, actually when, uh, when COVID began and perhaps even before that, uh, we have been leaving the age of grace. And we've been in the church age since Jesus was raised from the dead and the church age began, but we're, we're leaving now. We're at the very end stage. Listen to what I'm saying. We're at the very end stage of the age of grace. And past the age of grace, there is an age of judgment just prior to Jesus' return. And that, that, that age of judgment is where God writes all of the wrongs and does everything necessary to cleanse this earth from all of the contaminants that came when Adam and Eve, the first man and woman, sinned. How many hear me? So that's where we are. You know, I, I often just sit back and strategize what life is like and where I am and where I'm going to be going. And it would be, and that's just the part, leader part of me. I just always do that. I back up and, 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 and get the panoramic view of where we are. Where we are is very end of grace. And we're entering into a time of judgment. People don't realize that the, that the years just prior to Jesus' return are typified by judgment. But if you read Daniel, read the book of Revelation, and we're going to read just here in a minute from uh, the book of Luke and the book of Matthew, book of Mark, uh, also say some of the same things that Luke says. When you read these passages, it talks a lot about things that are are going to be happening that are unsettling, uh, that make people nervous, that aren't nice. But you understand, there are times of judgment. It's one of the major doctrines of Scripture that very few people even talk about today. Eternal judgments, Hebrews 6, read 1 through 2, you'll see what I'm talking about. That's where we are in the world. So uh, it seems topsy-turvy, it seems like up is down, down is up, good is bad, bad is good, and uh, just crazy craziness on every level. And I don't have to explain it a whole lot, you get what I'm saying, because we've been living it the last few years, is that right? So I'll come back to that in just a minute, but I want to uh, give you two scripture God gave me, Hebrews 12, 26 through 29. This is New Living Translation. It says this, when God spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth, but now he makes another promise. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. Of course, you know Mount Sinai is where Moses received the Ten Commandments, the law, uh, the, uh, the sacrifices, the priesthood, all of that. And he says that, that voice, of course, that shook Mount Sinai. Once again, I will shake not only the earth, but the heavens also. This means that all of creation will be shaken and removed so that only unshakable things 
can remain. Wow. Um, and then verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that's unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe for our God is a devouring fire. So the shaking has begun. Have you figured it out yet? It's every level of our culture. Anything that's not glued down tight is shaken. And it's coming apart. And that's what we're experiencing. John chapter 14, however, Jesus said this, and I love this. Again, New Living Translation, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust in me also. Uh, There is more than enough room in my Father's home. Mm. If this were not so, I would, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you when everything is ready? Let me say that again. When everything is ready. Maybe one more time. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. I don't know about you, but that excites me. Now, Jesus ascended to heaven uh, in Acts chapter 1, and the apostles at the time watched him go up, but the angel said to them, this same Jesus that you saw go up into heaven, he will come down in like manner. And they lived in the expectation of Jesus' return their entire lifetimes. And here it is almost 2,000 years later, and he hasn't come back yet. But we have the promises of God that he said he's coming back. So I want to start today with the stark reality of where we live in an epoch, a different time, uh, time, a time of judgment. We're entering into that time, and we're leaving the age of grace. I want to start with the reality of what Jesus said about that and then end with the most important things you can do this year. Is that okay? Uh, so here are some events that let us know how close we are to the second coming of Christ. Uh, I did a study. I've, I've, I've done quite a, a bit of studying on end-time events, eschatology. And in my studies there, I found over, uh, I think it's 20, 24, 25 scripture in the Old Testament that revealed the fact that um, God's people, the Israelites, who were scattered, is called the dysphoria. Uh, they were scattered over the earth because of their unbelief. When Jesus came, by and large, the Jews rejected him. And so they were driven out of Israel. They were driven out of Jerusalem. Um, a Roman emperor named Titus in 70 AD uh, conquered, uh, conquered Jerusalem and, and tore the, I mean, tore the temple completely down. No stone was left on top of each other. They were plated with gold and his mercenary, uh, his mercenary um, men came and pushed those stones out of the way and they did that because they wanted to get every bit of that gold they had placed on the walls. And so they moved all the stones and that's what Jesus said would happen. But they've been uh, not a nation for almost 2,000 years and the Bible says, again, uh, 24 to 25 uh, different passages uh, with numerous scriptures with them, each one, uh, say that just before the Messiah returns, the land of Israel that was and was not will come back again, that God will draw his people back to their land. That happened in uh, May of 1948, and the United Nations recognized Israel as one of the nations of the world. You know, there's so many nations of the world in the Middle East that don't even recognize uh, Israel as a nation. Did you realize that? In fact, I've flown a lot on missions trips and stuff. And, you know, you see those little, little maps with the, with the plane on it, you know, and see where you're going. Did you know most of those maps on the, a lot of the planes I've, I've, uh, I've ridden on, they don't even have Israel on the map. That tells you how the world feels and thinks about Israel, the nation that was not, that came again. And it's a sign that Jesus is coming back. 1967. Um, Israel regained control of Jerusalem for the first time since 70 A.D. Do you realize how significant that is? Now, I'm going to fast forward a good bit here and talk about some current events, and I might read some of the things I put. I started writing this thing, and it's like I couldn't stop. So uh, 2020, things changed radically worldwide, and my opinion is that it was a test. Uh, When COVID came, uh, the last service we had, uh, before they required that we shut down, we opened back up on May 31st of 2020, but we were shut from March 15th through, until then. But uh, before I even heard what, co- what COVID was, I was praying in the Spirit on a Friday, March uh, 13th in the morning, and God gave me one word for what was about to happen. And I didn't understand the word, had to look it up. 
and in our archives. I've talked about this word a good bit in my blogs. I've talked about this word, and in my podcasts I have as well. It's the word nefarious. And God, to me, for me, uh, uh, combined the word nefarious with the word COVID. So COVID was not just a disease, it was a scheme. Go look up the word nefarious, particularly look up the synonyms. It's not my subject today, but just look it up. So um, the World Economic Forum, the World Health Organization, and other organizations uh, begin to have begun to team up a number of years ago uh, to push uh, to push a way uh, to control the masses of hum- humanity, uh, nation to nation to nation. Um, and then years ago, they began to push climate change to begin a slow process of ultimate control of the nations of the world under the umbrella of a global government and financial systems. Did you hear what I just said? Now, the end of faith, and I'll, I'm going to go further, and we'll just do this just a little bit, and then I want to go to the scriptures about what Jesus said and then end with something positive. But uh, the end of October of last year, there was a CO. Uh, climate uh, conference called CO27, the very end of October. You may have read about this. In fact, the first article I saw was in the Financial Times. And uh, they mentioned the fact that there was a, a big meeting of all of those that were pushing and touting what we need to do uh, in relationship with climate change and what the nations of the world need to do. And they had uh, meetings in three different locations. One of those locations, oddly enough, listen, was at the base of Mount Sinai where, where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And guess what they did? This, uh, this meeting combined uh, many of the leaders from many nations in the world, including uh, the U.S., including Great Britain, including Israel, and many others across Europe and other parts of the world. Also included uh, the three major world religions, that being Ju- uh, Ju- uh, Judaism, Islam and Christianity. Uh, people from the Vatican were also there. And there at the base of Mount Sinai, they ratified the Ten Commandments of climate change. You can't make this up. You see, there's a scheme and a plan, and they have a plan by 2030 for the whole world to be changed and be completely different. And you can read about that. That's not my purpose. That's not my subject today. But I just want you to know we're living in a world that is changing drastically and preparing for Jesus to come back. And and, and, uh, in in a wonderful way, the prophets, including Jesus, the Apostle Paul, John, Daniel, and others have showed us exactly what the world would look like just before Jesus returns. And we seem to be fitting the pattern perfectly. The current war that began in February of 2022 between Ukraine and Russia um, I believe uh, the things that I have read and seen, that is going to destabilize perhaps even the entire world. It won't remain a conflict just between Russia and the Ukraine, but it's going to begin to spread eventually. There's a lot to say about that. Uh, I, it may even eventuate uh, into um, uh, a call for peace under a global agreement headed by a leader that the Bible calls Antichrist. The, uh, obviously, the secular world will never call him that. He'll just be a guy that has, a, has an idea of peace so that the conflicts can in some way cease. Now, I'm going to read this next long paragraph. Y'all ready for this? Just want to show you, everybody knows this, but this is where we're living here in America. I said our government, and this is not in my notes. I did not put this in the notes, did I? Is it in the notes? Okay, I didn't think so. Here in America, our government's moving away from the Constitution that has kept us free and is moving towards socialism, communism. There is a rampant deception in our government, in our media, in our schools and universities. There's a move towards delegitimization of rules based on the Bible and the Ten Commandments that made the Western world and the USA free and prosperous. Our borders are porous. Our finances are on the brink of collapse with inflation of prices and deflation of currency values. Um, This will bring the need to create a digital currency that will culminate with a digital mark of some kind that will be used to control travel, finance, health, and the consumption of goods based on a personal digital scorecard of obedience to a global ideology. That's a lot to say. 
I think I put that in the revised notes. If I didn't, I'll put them back in there. I think I put it in there. But that's just where we're living today. It's uncanny, it's crazy. But that is where we are living, and that's where the world is headed. And somewhere in the mix of all this, there is a promise of worldwide revival by the prophets of the Bible. And I don't know about you, but that excites me. I've got one uh, portion that I will not share. It's in my personal notes, not on the notes online. I will not share it this morning because I don't have time, but go listen to Tuesday's podcast. I will record it tomorrow. But I've came across some information about the revival and what may be the catalyst for it that is uh, unusual but predicted. Uh, so you, you want to go check that out. That's on Tuesday. My podcast will be available then on the 3rd, and I will record it tomorrow. So how many know that times are changing? Uh, and I have mentioned in the past what psychologists call a, a, a normalcy bias. And again, that's found in Second Peter 3, where people, Peter said, people would say, where is the promise of Christ's coming? For since the beginning of the world, all things continue as they are, infinitum without end. So the way things were, the way things will be, and that's the, that's the idea we have. And that's what keeps us sane. That's what gives us an ability to get up, take our kids to school, uh, work a job 40 plus hours a week, do what we do, and just live some kind of a semblance of a normal Life. It's called normalcy bias. The problem with that is during times of crisis, the normalcy bias can get you, can get in the way. How many hear what I'm saying? So, you know, normalcy bias, let me give you a, a quick example. Uh, so, so bad weather hits, uh, everybody's doing 70 plus, maybe 80 plus miles an hour on an interstate, and they're not factoring in the fact that the brakes don't work as well on, on wet or snowy roads. Yes or no? Well, normalcy bias says, well, I can just tool along and everything's going to be, going to be fine, but it doesn't factor in that somebody may hit their brakes the wrong way. So you've got a, a hundred car pile up. We've seen those things, right? What caused that? Normalcy bias. You hear what I'm saying? So, so again, when the world is changing, We've got to be willing to say, God, are you saying something different to me? Are you speaking something different about life to me? Something I need to do differently. Let me say again, my personal normalcy bias is really, really strong. I can do the same thing for a long, 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 long period of time. It's in my DNA. That's what makes me, you know, who I am, a leader and a pastor and all that. It's inside of me. And and so for me to change is a really big deal. Well, God began to deal with my personal normalcy bias several years ago, and I began to grieve the losses of the way things were and that they'll never really go back to what they were. If you haven't done that yet, you need to grieve it and say, okay, Lord, show me what's next, right? Stretch me. How many hear me? Um, Jesus told us what, decide, what conditions would be like. We're going to turn positive here after this, but let me get through this. Um, Jesus told us what conditions would be like just before he uh, came back. He wanted to prepare us for that. I think it's really cool that he did that. Now, I've done a lot of traveling in various nations. We have a bunch of churches in Africa and Ethiopia. I've been all over India. And, you know, one thing about me, whether it's even in the United States or if I'm on a long-distance trip, I usually find a map of where I'm going. For instance, uh, uh, so when I go to other nations, I do the same thing. That is, I find a map of that nation. Now you can go to uh, Google Earth or whatever, and you can hone in on where you're going to be traveling. You can look at the roads. You can look at the cities. You can see the terrain. You can see where I... So see, I do that. It makes me comfortable as to I know where I'm going. I know what I'm getting into. And then, then as I travel and get into it, I can remember the signpost to let me know where I am and where I'm headed. Does that make sense? I do the same thing when I travel here. Whatever GPS you use and whatever app you use in your automobile. Uh, you know, I do that and I click go and then it gives you a, a sequence of roads that you're going to get on. I actually click and I look at every road that I'm going to get on and then I broaden, uh, I, I, uh, I expand the map and I can see every road I'm turning on, every place I'm going, if it's a place I haven't been to in a while. Why do I do that? I want to be familiarized with the territory I'm in. Jesus wants to familiarize us with what the world is going to look like before he comes back. How many understand that? And so he has given us some wonderful, wonderful uh, 
uh, uh, teaching in Matthew 24, Luke 21, Mark 13, the kind of sister parallel passages. Today, I want to look at Luke 21 before we go further to the positive part. Y'all ready for this? So Jesus' um, uh, disciples ask him what the world would be like before he came back. Verse 5, some of the disciples are marked about the beauty of the temple. They pointed out the lovely adornments and how it was built with excellence from the gifts given to God. Jesus said, verse 6, the day will come that everything you admire here will be utterly destroyed. And that happened 70 A.D. under Titus. It will all become a heap of rubble. Master, tell us, they asked, when exactly will this happen? Can you tell us what warning sign to look for when it's about to take place? Jesus responded, Deception will run rampant with many who will appear on the scene saying, I have sent them, or saying about themselves, I am the Messiah, and the doomsday deceivers will say, the end of the age is now here. But listen to me, don't be fooled by these imposters. They will also be, there will also be many wars and revolutions on every side with rumors of more wars to come. Don't panic or be given in or give in to your fears for these things are bound to happen. Still, the end is not yet. Jesus continued, there will be upheavals of every kind. Nation will go to war against each other and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be terrible earthquakes, seismic events of epic proportion resulting in famines in one place after another. There will be horrible plagues and epidemics, cataclysmic storms on the earth and astonishing signs and cosmic disturbances in the heavens. Check out my podcast on Tuesday. Uh, But before all this happens, you'll be hunted down and arrested, persecuted by both civil and religious authorities and thrown into prison. I love what he says here. And because you follow me, verses 12 and 13, This is the the Passion Translation, by the way. Because you follow me, you'll be on trial before kings, governmental leaders as an opportunity to testify to them in my name. So, So if somebody says, you need to come and talk to us, did you know it could be a supernatural God set up for you to witness to that person? Isn't that awesome? Yet determine in your hearts, verses 14 and 15, not to prepare for your own defense. Simply speak with the words of wisdom that I give you that moment and none of your persecutors will be able to withstand the grace and wisdom that comes from your mouth. Isn't that awesome? You can expect betrayal even by your parents, your brothers, your relatives and friends. Hmm. Yes, some of you will die as martyrs. Now, see, that there's a lot to read in, and I'm not going to take time to, to, to talk about it in detail except to read it again. You can expect betrayal. What is that saying? The information will be so challenging that some will believe it and some will not, and it will divide families. That talks about the ultimate deceptive practices that will be going on public and worldwide. So let me read it again. Jesus said, "Here's um, you can expect betrayal even by your parents. Now, that's challenging. Is it challenging to you? He said, your brothers, your relatives, your friends. And yes, some of you will die as martyrs. You will be hated all, uh, by all because of, uh, be, uh, because of my life in you. Wow. But don't worry. My grace will never desert you or depart from your life. Now, let me read that again. Don't worry, my grace will never desert you or depart from your life. Let me read it again. My grace will never desert you or depart from your life. I love it. And by standing firm with patient endurance, you will find your soul's deliverance. And then verse 20, when you see Jerusalem being surrounded by armies, you will know for sure that its devastation is imminent. And that time, those uh, all who are living in Judea must flee to the mountains. Those who live inside the city great gates go out and flee. Those who live inside the city must not be entering it seeking refuge. Perhaps the battle of Armageddon is in view here. For verse 22, these are the days of God's vengeance to fulfill what has been written against Jerusalem. It will be extremely difficult for pregnant women, for those nursing little ones in that day. For there will be great persecution and wrath against this nation. Many will be cut down by the sword or scattered as prisoners in many countries. And Jerusalem shall be trampled down by the nations until the days of the world empires come to an end. 
Well, Jerusalem was trampled down until 1948. They've come back, and here we are. It looks like what Jesus said is happening now. He said, until the days the world empire comes to an end. It looks like that may be soon to come. Then he said this, verse 25, expect to witness amazing and perplexing signs throughout the universe with the sun, the moon, the stars, the raging of the sea will bring desperation and turmoil to many nations. Earthquakes will bring panic and disaster. What men see coming to earth will cause the fear of doom to grip their hearts for they will see even the powers of the heavenly realm shaken and at last. You will see how the Son of Man comes, surrounded with a cloud, with great power and miracles, in the radiance of His splendor and with great glory and praises. It will make you jump for joy, for the days of your full transformation has arrived. To get there, we got to go through some stuff. And that's what Jesus mentioned. One last time, Satan is going to seek to control this planet through uh, his man of mans that the Bible terms the Antichrist, he will be some kind of a leader, a world leader. Uh, he's pro- perhaps alive right now, just waiting, just waiting in the wings, just waiting to be manifest when the time is ripe. And uh, that could be sooner rather than later. We really don't know. To navigate these times, I want you to notice the first thing that Jesus said. I just want to read one portion of what he said from several translations in Luke 21, 8 that we just read. When the disciples asked him, what will the things be like? The very first thing Jesus said is, don't let anyone mislead you. Hmm. English Standard Version. See that you're not led astray. Complete Jewish Bible. Watch out, don't be fooled. Just looking at the first phrase. God's Word translation. Be careful that you're not deceived. The Passion translation we just read. Deception will run rampant. So the first thing Jesus encouraged us to do is when we're in this time, and it seems as though we're at the beginning stages of that time, it still could be a few years before Jesus returns. The number one thing Jesus said was, be careful that you're not deceived or misled. How many hear me? So there are a lot of voices speaking a lot of things. There's a lot of information available to all of us at our fingertips. And how many know we need wisdom beyond our own to be able to navigate the strange times that we live in? I have noticed over the last number of years, a spirit of deception seems to have encroached uh, on every level of culture and in an uncanny way, Unlike anything I've seen in my 64 years of living, people can tell a lie with a straight face, with no conscience whatsoever, knowing full well what they're saying is not true, but they want you to believe it. Now, you can extrapolate that and add to it anything you want to. I'm just saying that is the era that we're living in. That is the time that we're living in. It's a time of tremendous deception. So for me, when I read something, when I hear something, when I listen to podcasts, when I read something from whatever source from the internet, man, I got both of my ears listening to my eyes looking. Man, man, I'm listening to my heart. And you know, the cool thing about the Lord is this. When you come across something that's not true, the Holy Spirit inside of you witnesses, whoa, 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 watch that. 1 John 2.20, it's not in the notes. You have an unction from the Holy One. And you know or understand all things. We have a monitor on the inside of us called the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, my first Bible school experience was 1977. I've been to three. And as I would read books and listen to different authors and and, uh, speakers and such, uh, being in school and then just being in church life and traveling and all that, um, you know, over and over and over again, I would start to read a certain excerpt from a book or read a certain book and come to a certain section of it or sometimes the beginning of the book. Uh, and something inside of me would say, leave that alone and don't bother it. Now, I've had that happen to me over and over and over again because, and, and what that was showing me, the Holy Spirit was showing me that has deception. And that will lead you astray. Now, I've had that happen to me so many times over you know, the span of, uh, gosh, 46 plus years, 
that I've walked with Jesus. I've had that happen over and over and over and over and over. And today, don't just be gullible. I had a person years ago say, well, I just figured everything in print was true. I mean, how stupid can you be? I mean, really? Really? Everything in print is true? Really? Uh Uh-uh. No. No, you you need to cite the source. Look at the source and then listen to your own spirit where the Holy Spirit is. How many know he wants to help us? How many know he's called the spirit of truth? The key to being not, to not being misled in this time is really listening uh, to God's word. How many hear me? Notice, I want you to notice what Jesus said about the word. And that's what I want to hone in on. So we've left the negative. We just went positive. Is that okay? Let's give a few minutes of positive here. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said this. Um, to the Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word. The Greek word there is M-E-N-O, and it means to, um, to remain. It means to stay. It means to not go anywhere. It means once you get there, you're not going anywhere. It's used in John 15, 7, where Jesus said, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. That means to remain permanently somewhere without going anywhere. So Jesus said, if you remain, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. I don't know about you, but that gives me hope. Does it give you hope? Then a few things that Jesus said to his disciples. Now, John 14, John 15, John 16, etc., John 17. Jesus was preparing his disciples for his eventual departure to heaven via the cross, and he was preparing them for him leaving them. And he made some really, really great statements to his disciples that, are really, really, really comforting today. Listen, John 14, verse 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. That means obey my word. And I will pray or ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth. Everybody say the spirit of truth. Now now see, I love the fact that Jesus called the Holy Spirit the spirit of truth. Because if you have the spirit of truth in you, Anything that is not true that you hear or read, he's going to tag it and say, ha, ha, wait, if you're listening to him. Yes or no? The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is, the, this is before the cross. This is before they were saved. The Holy Spirit came on them but he wasn't yet in them. He said, one day he'll be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And then John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. Notice what he will do. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Any of the Bible, any of the Word of God that you read, if you'll just read it and read it slowly so you can comprehend and understand, He'll bring it back up when you need it. I mentioned this a few Sundays ago. I was belly aching to the Lord. I was in my early 20s. I'd been to, uh, well, the first two Bible schools and I was saying, well, God, all these people are talking about the Lord. Even my, even my professors in college, they're talking about the Lord speaking to them. My pastor says the Lord speaks to him and then we got guest speakers and they say, well, the Lord said, and I said, you're not talking to me. How come you're not talking to me? You're not saying anything to me. Am I your child? And God gave me this scripture. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance. I had verses of scripture that come up to my mind any time during the day I was involved in something. I'd be in a conversation with someone and, and I would hear, grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed to the day of redemption. How many hear me? just amazing and over and over and over again I would be doing something scriptures would come up to me how many know when you have a scripture come to your mind it's the Holy Spirit speaking to you be aware then John 16 13 through 15 however when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you into all truth for he will not speak of his own authority but whatever he hears he'll speak and he will tell you things to come he will glorify me that means he lifts Jesus up for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things the Father has are mine. Therefore, I said he will take of mine and declare it to you. Let me say something about the Holy Spirit. He never pays attention to himself. 
So as we get into some churches are always in, you know, revival mode. You hear this and that. It's wonderful. I think all that's wonderful. Just be aware. The Holy Spirit never brings attention to himself. He always brings attention to Jesus. And if something is motivated by the Holy Spirit, then you'll hear a whole lot about Jesus. He hides and he brings the Son into full manifestation. How many hear what I'm saying? This year, I want to encourage you, let the Word of God navigate you. Let it move you. Let it guide you. When I was a young man, I came across this scripture, and y'all, I can't tell you how it changed who I am and how I live. Isaiah 33, 6, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability of your time. I spent most all of my teenage years, even my single digit years, as a person that was up and down. I was like a yo-yo. One day I was great, the next day I was I was sullen and, you know, upset, constantly, constantly changing. When I read this, wisdom and knowledge will be the stability. And my, I mean, my eyes honed in on the word stability. How many want to be a stable person? Maybe you feel like you're unstable. All of us at times have days we feel unstable. But you know what? The Word of God will bring stability to you. It'll bring stability to an unstable personality. How many hear me? You may feel like you're coming unglued at the seams, but if you'll get the word in you and put it into practice, it'll bring stability. He says it will be the stability of times and the strength of salvation. You're never stronger in God, God than you are in His Word. The stronger you are with the Word, the stronger you are spiritually. So as we get into this, a lot of people again, I love revival and the moves of God. But make sure the move of God is based on this book right here called the Bible. I mean, to hear what I'm saying? Proverbs 3, 5 through 8, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't lean to your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge Him and He will direct your paths. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It'll be health to your flesh, strength to your bones. Psalm 1, the whole psalm is short, but listen. Blessed is the man who walks. And when it says man, it means humankind. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. And there's a whole message right there. This person, they're, 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 they're walking and they hear something. And when they hear something, they stand and listen. And they listen so long till they sit down and absorb it. You don't want the world's culture to do that to you. To get to the point that it gets your attention and then you stop and you gaze, and then you sit, you can absorb that. He said, don't do it. He said, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates day and night in it. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also will not wither and whatever he does will prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Wow. Therefore, the ungodly will not stand in the judgment. See, we're living in a time of judgment. He said the ungodly will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. The Lord knows the way of the righteous the way of the ungodly shall perish. Now, you know what I get out of that? When we're going through a tough place, when we're in a world that is facing judgments that are yet to come, God will stabilize us. God will make a way for us. He will show us the way of escape. He'll show us truth from error. And when it looks like you won't make it, you will make it. God will make a way for you. When it looks like finances are failing, when it looks like there's no way, the God will make a way for you. Don't forget that God put the Israelites in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And when, when Moses came along with those ten judgments against the gods of the Egyptians, just before he let the uh, Israelites free from Egyptian bondage, the, uh, the uh, Israelites were in Goshen. It was a, it was a land, uh, it was a land that I think it was uh, southwestern uh, um, Egypt. And none of those plagues, all of those ten plagues you read about in like Exodus 2 through like 11 or 12 or so there, uh, none of those plagues hit the land of Goshen. So a thousand may fall at my side and 10,000 at my right hand, but we have the promise from, from Psalm 91 that it would not come near us. In fact, the scripture says in Psalm 34, the angel of the Lord encamps around about them that fear him and delivers them. I've not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. 
So as world situations escalate, we have the promise of Scripture. We can say spiritually we live in the land of Goshen and that God has promised to make a way for us. If you'll put the Word of God first place in your life, I don't care if all hell's breaking loose around you somewhere, you'll come through it. Y'all, I've seen it happen in my own life over and over again. Then Matthew 24, or 7, 24 through 27, the Passion Translation is so clear. Everyone, Jesus said, who hears my teachings and applies it to his life can be compared to a wise man who built his house on an unshakable foundation. When the rain, rains fell, the floods came, the fierce winds beat upon that house, his house. It stood because of its strong foundation. But everyone who hears my teaching and does not apply it to his life can be compared to a fool, foolish man who built his house on sand. When it rained and rained, the flood came, the wind and waves beating upon his house, it collapsed and was swept away. Now, that's the promise. If you do what God says, that regardless of the challenge, the difficulty of the moment, the hour, God will make a way of escape for you. How many hear me? So that decision to put God's word first, I did it when I was 18 when I came to Jesus. I made a decision. I'm going I'm I'm to take God at his word. If he said it, how many know he is going to bring it to pass? Yes or no? Heaven and earth, Jesus said, will pass away. My words will not pass away. And I've made a decision to put my feelings to the side many times, to put other people's opinions to the side, to put circumstances to the side, and believe clearly what God said about my life in lots of different situations through the last 46 years. And you know what I found out? God will bring you through every situation. Now, if you did that in the past, you think he can do it in the future? When judgment hits the world, do you think God will make a way for us? You better believe he will. Three things to do as I conclude. Y'all okay? Three things to do with your Bible this year. You ready for this? Number one, read, memorize, and meditate. How about say it with me? Read, memorize, and meditate. Don't just read, include the other two. Start your day with a word. God spoke to me uh, way back in 1983. I think I was 23. I turned 24 that year. And he spoke to me very clearly. I was uh, working that morning so clearly. And actually, I was meditating on Matthew 6, 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I had to develop a habit. If I wasn't doing anything with my mind, I would, uh, I would, um, I would meditate Scripture. And, and you know, at the time, I was a janitor in a church. That was my full-time job. It was a huge church, and they had like 60-something toilets. It was a huge church. And so I'm cleaning toilets, vacuuming the carpet, and I'm meditating on Matthew 6, 33. It doesn't take a lot of, you don't have to think a lot to vacuum or to clean a toilet. You just got to go through the motions and do it. So when I was meditating on that scripture, see the Holy Spirit spoke. If you'll, if you'll make the word the central focus of your life, you'll find the Holy Spirit will speak to you. The less you involve yourself with this book, the less you will hear him speak. And the less you'll sense his influence on you. How many hear me? But because I was just meditating on scripture. He said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God, his righteousness, all these things will be added. It's just going over and over. I heard him say, Mitch, huh? I was on the way to lunch. There was a swimming pool in front of me. I was turning left to go to my house in a housing addition. I lived two and a half miles from where I worked. I said, Mitch, what's first in your life? Why did he say that? Because I was meditating on scripture. If you never get in the word, he's probably not going to speak to you. He said, Mitch, what's first in your life? I said, well, well, you are. Then he said something that changed my world. It rocked my world and changed my world. And I think maybe it's the most important thing God ever said to me because it formed and fashioned my adult life. He said, what's first in your life? I said, well, you are. He said, make me first in your day. I've never been a morning person all my life. You've heard my stories, many of you. Never been a morning person. Always got up just in time to take a shower, get some food in my belly, drink a cup of coffee, and slide into parking place at work. And that's about it. You know, I'm a night person. I'd read at night. I'd do stuff at night. And, 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 but I was dissatisfied. And God was haunting me. He was developing me. And he was showing me a better way to live. See, I, he was stretching. Mitch, I want you to make a change. And so I started getting up 10 minutes early. I read for five minutes and I prayed for five minutes. That turned into almost all of my life now. 
uh, I usually spend two and a half hours with the Lord in the morning. And it eventuated into getting up. And, and you know, it started 10 minutes. I'd got up at 10. used to get up at 6 o'clock, 10 minutes till 6, 20 till 6, 5.30, 5.20, 5.10, o'clock, 4.50. And it turned into me getting up at 4.30 in the morning, most all my life, and spending the first two and a half hours of my day with the Lord. I can't tell you what that did to me. I, I can't describe how intimate the Lord became after I did that. So when I got up, I did, and I encourage you, read your Bible through every year. How many hear what I just said? There's lots of great helps and aids. If you need some, we can give you some. There's some great helps and aids to read through the Bible every year. But don't just read, meditate. We'll get there in a minute. But have a, have a goal to read through the whole Bible. For me, I've been doing this for decades now. I read all of the Old Testament. I read through the New Testament just about every month. I read a, uh, I read an epistle, and I read a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the book of Acts. And then I read through the epistles and the book of Revelation and, and do it every month and just keep going, keep going, keep going. I read at least two, three chapters in the Old Testament. And then I read a psalm or a proverb or sometimes several psalms according to how long they are. Psalm 119 is kind of long, right? <laughs> so if they're not too long, I might read two. But I usually read through the psalms a couple of times a year. I read through the book of Proverbs several times a year. And that's just in the morning, not including what I do the rest of the day. What does that do? It makes you familiar. If you get your insides familiar with the Word of God, the Holy Spirit will speak to you. And then where you're around people, you're having conversations, you're doing something at work, you'll have Him nudge you. And He will remind you of something that you read. And that is the Holy Spirit guiding and leading you. How many hear what I'm saying? It is amazing how he does that. So um, I also read a study Bible. I have three recommendations, and those are not in the notes. Uh, Holman Christian uh, Standard Bible Study Notes, Holman Christian Standard Bible. It's a really thick Bible hard copy. I actually have mine in the Olive Tree Bible app, and I split the screen, and I have my notes on one side and the text on the other but that is probably, uh, for a, a generic study Bible, one of the best because it gives, um, it gives um, uh, all kinds of information about Bible times and things you need to know, Hebrew words, Greek words, and just uh, things that happen during the time that you may be reading. Very, very, very good. Second one is, uh, and I often encourage, and I would encourage you if you're looking for a really good one, Life Application Study Bible. That one, uh, it's pastoral in its content. So when you're reading scripture, uh, the notes are beside it again or at the bottom of the page. Uh, it applies what you're reading. I don't care if it's Old Testament, Psalm, Proverb, and New Testament. It applies it to your personal life in an amazing way. Who's, where's, uh, where's Cameron? I turned Cameron on to that year, uh, uh, last year. Where's Cameron? There is, do you like it? See, I try, he, keep, he keeps talking to him. He says, man, that's awesome. That's all, and I see it on Facebook, right? So again, Life Application Study Bible. Or this one, um, I actually bought a copy of this one, Dake's Annotated Reference Bible. Dake, uh, Janice Finning's Dake, uh, had, um, had a photographic memory and could look at a page and remember everything about it. Just an uncanny ability. And uh, he annotated that easy, put notes beside every single passage of scripture all the way through the 66 books of the Bible. So a Dake's annotated reference Bible will have notes on, they have four columns per page and you've got notes on all the columns, on both columns beside the text and then underneath the bottom and at the end of each book of the Bible, exhaustive notes on numerous subjects. Uh, anyway, you may find those again, Holman Christian Standard Bible Study Notes, Life Application Study Bible or Dake's annotated reference Bible. You'll find that to be really Really, really good. Uh, another thing I've done all my life, and I'm sure you do all these same things, highlight, underline, highlight passages in your Bible. 
Um, and if you'll do that, go back to them and read. And I've done that for decades. And I just go back to the highlighted, many times when I had some free time, go back to the highlighted passages, a particular book of the Bible, and just read the things that the Lord spoke to me and I, because I highlighted them. And when He spoke to me or it was emphasized to me, I would, I would highlight it. And then I would take one of those highlighted scriptures, either Old Testament, Psalm, Proverb, or New Testament, and I would, and then I would memorize it. Just one scripture. And here's what I found. If you get one scripture for your whole day, has anybody besides me had trouble with your head? <laughs> has anybody had problems with wrong thinking, challenging thoughts, aggravating thoughts, thoughts from your past? Only way to cure is get the word in you. Memorize scripture. And then once you memorize scripture from your reading, meditate on just one all throughout the day. So you're driving, you're commuting to work, you're, you know, going for a walk. I walk two miles a day, and when I walk, I often meditate on Scripture. I, I, buy, I cycle on the Noose River Trail. I rode 20 miles Friday. I didn't turn anything on. I just thought about the Lord. I prayed, and then I meditated on Scripture. And if you'll meditate on what you memorize, meditation takes the Word from your head and drops it about a foot and a half to your heart. Bloop. <laughs> and once God's Word gets in your heart, it starts challenging who you are. How many hear what I'm saying? So beyond that, I get up early. I'm an early riser. I became that slowly, slowly, slowly. Don't try to do a whole lot if you've never done much at all. Start small and it'll grow. How many hear me? Also find a good spiritual book and read either a half a chapter or an entire chapter. I usually keep three or four books going at any one time. Um, uh, years ago, I read a book on spiritual leadership by J. Oswald Sanders, and he said this, Variety is as restful to the mind as to the body. And so if you'll just read different books, I don't read the same book usually every day. I'll skip every other day. I'll read a different book. Because it keeps your mind engaged. Goals. You need a goal of reading your Bible through. How many know goals? We set goals in our jobs, right? You want to accomplish this, that, or the other? Well, goal, goals aid motivation and keep you from being bored and not accomplishing anything. So have a spiritual goal of reading your Bible every year, every year throughout the year. And then have a, have a goal of reading a good book and then highlighting things as you read the book. And I've got a lot to say about that. Maybe I'll come back sometime. Uh, if you fill yourself with the Word, you will repel things that are ungodly. Did you hear me? And then if you think about it this way, 21 to 28 days begins the formation of a new habit. When I first started this in my life in 1983, it was really, really hard for me to do, but I did it. And you know what? Because I did it three or four weeks, and if I missed a day, I got up the next day and I started with my 10 minutes time five minutes reading five. You know what happened? It turned into, you know, it became an ingrained habit. And if I missed it, I just wanted to do it. And I've done that with so many areas of life. 21 to 28 days begins the formation of a new habit. You can create habits that you want. Habits make you what you are. Yes or no? You can start today, the first day of the year, start with some new habits of eating, new habits of exercise, and you know what? It'll change your world. It'll make you feel better. And it'll cause the vessel that God gave you to live in until you go to heaven. It'll work better. So habits, develop good habits. Number two, pray the word over you. Everybody okay? Pray the word over your life. The second thing. First thing is, number one, read, memorize, and meditate. Number two, pray the word over your life. A lot of people don't know how to pray. When I started out, I'd been to two Bible schools, but I had a lousy prayer life. Can I get real? And, and prayer is cumbersome, it's difficult. You're talking to a person that's invisible, that you can't see, you can't hear. Uh, many times there's no emotion involved. So the personage that you have when you're, when you're talking to somebody else on earth is different when you're talking to God. And you just got to figure it out. And the only way to do it is go do it and figure it out. Pray the word, but I've learned if you pray what God says back to him, you'll have an effective prayer life. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and does not return but waters the earth and makes it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It will not return void, will accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it. God watches over his word. Jeremiah 1 12. 
to perform it. John 15, 7, Jesus said, If ye abide in me and my words abide and remain in you, you'll ask what you will and it will be done to you. Jesus said, Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. I spent time with the Lord this morning and, and uh, some of that time I was just saying, Lord, thank you that you said this in your word, you said that in your word. I just quote his word back to him, not because he needs to hear it, I need to hear it. And he needs to know I believe it. And so when I'm praying for you, I'll pray the word. I'll pray Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, great prayers that the apostle Paul prayed. And I could spend another hour and a half talking to you about praying the word. Pray the word. Number three, ask yourself this year throughout the day as I conclude, what does God's word say about this? If you want to live a a, a successful life as a believer and you want to dedicate and consecrate yourself to spiritual values, in a non-spiritual fading world, I encourage you throughout the day develop a practice of what does God's Word say? Colossians 3, 16 and 17. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, uh, back in the 70s when I was my first Bible school experience, there was a book that was created called Psalter. It was the title of the book. And all it was was Psalms. And it was songs uh, from the Psalms, by and large. And if you're older, like me, you remember that. But they would just put the word to, to music. And did you know one of the easiest ways to memorize things is to put them to music? You know, some of my grandchildren have eight grandchildren and the younger ones, two, three, four. Man, they can memorize things by singing a song. Did you remember your ABCs by singing? Of course you did. A lot of things you learned by singing. And so let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, admonishing one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Why? Because it helps you remember it. Then back years ago, back in the, um, my goodness, I was 18 years old. And I came across Philippians 4, 8. And now, dear brothers and sisters, finally, one thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, and admirable. Or the King James says, true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, and praiseworthy. I actually, it says, think on these things. Think about these things that are excellent, worthy of praise. So uh, I really did this, and we didn't have the internet at the time, uh, but we did have three by five index cards and a pen. And I wrote Philippians 4, 8 down on an index card, put it in my... We used to have pockets on our shirts. Now we have European shirts, no pocket. But I put it right here. And then every day throughout the day, regardless of whether I was in school or whether I was working or whatever, I pull that card out, Philippians 4. And I would say, okay, what am I thinking about? Finally, brothers, whatever's true, honest, just, pure, lovely, virtuous, praiseworthy, or it says here, New Living Translation, admirable. I say, do my thoughts. And many times I'd have to take that thought, chunk that, and I'd have to put the word in the place of the thought. Did you hear me? And if you do that throughout the day, Lord, am I pleasing you? Am I obeying your word? Am I doing what you said? Then the Passion Translation, as I conclude, everybody good? James 1.22, don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. For that is the essence of self-deception. Whoa! Did you know if you just sit in church on Sunday mornings, and say, that's a pretty good word he spoke. And, and forget the whole thing. You're self-deceived. Hearing the word and not practicing it sets up, listen, set, creates an atmosphere of deception in your life. Have you ever thought about that? So you see, this is a big question to ask on the first of the year. Am I setting myself up for deception this year by hearing but not putting it into practice? Woo, is that good? Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it, for that is the essence of self-deception. So always let his word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. If you listen, verse 23, to the word, don't live it out, out the message you hear. You become like the person who looks in the mirror of the word to discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, then you go out and forget your divine origin. Isn't that good? So I have practiced this throughout my life. And you know, if you want to be a godly person and you want to overcome all of the mess that's happening in America right now, put the Word inside of you. And as you go through your day, what does God... You're having a, Maybe you're angry. 
See, maybe you're angry. Somebody said something and it's testing you. They've said that 15 times, but the 16th time, I'm done with that. Right? Well, you know what comes up to me? Be angry and sin not. Let all bitterness and anger and wrath and shatter to be abuse be put away from you with all malice. Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. That's for Ephesians 4, um, 30 and 31. See, if you do that throughout the day, when you're doing something, the Word of God will come up to you. Maybe you're wasting time at work. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Maybe fear comes up and is trying to rule your life. God's not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Maybe you're in the doldrums one day and you feel like you just life is worthless and you feel hopeless. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us and gave Himself up for us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the Word of God will come back. If you let it come back to you over and over again, ask yourself throughout the day, what does the Bible say about this? You know what happened? what will happen? Eventually, you'll become a more godly person than you ever were before. How many want to get on that path with me?